0: Your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. The triangle set to the top of the pattern. Now Spielman in motion to the near side. Rolling right is McCaffrey. Throws it toward the end zone. Wide open as Noah. Makes a catch. And it is a touchdown. Nebraska. Now let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Thank you. Welcome to this week's show. Hope you had a good weekend. Hope you had a chance to maybe take a, in a little bit of the NFL draft that started on Thursday when we were on the air, went through Friday and Saturday. I I watched a lot of it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was really well-run, well-executed. Kudos to the NFL for the way they were able to pull that thing off. That was totally different than any draft they've ever done before, and you couldn't have told that it was kind of a first time run through uh, with all the different uh, zooms that they had going and all those different things. I-, I thought it was really well done. I think even the coaches and and the GMs enjoyed it, having a lot of it done from their from their houses, from their basements in some cases, their offices, having their family members around them to high five. I thought it was really a cool deal, and it certainly was been a cool deal. For Khalil and Carlos Davis, both of them getting selected late in the draft, but both getting selected, I felt really good about Khalil. I wasn't sure Carlos would get picked, so maybe a little extra happy that Carlos heard his name called by a really good organization in Pittsburgh. Yeah, to
1: me, that's kind of the secondary idea here is uh, like placement, you know, and the other those hidden benefits. The first thing is you just want him to get picked. You know, it doesn't matter who drafts them, but. But where they go, I think, then is the next big question. And then, you know, the Davis family one step further. Do they both get picked? And to me, just seeing Carlos – or excuse me, Khalil's name pop up first. I uh, was actually outside. I just finished cutting the grass. and I was watching the draft uh, cast pop up, and I saw his name pop up and, and was really excited that to see a name finally for the Huskers because it was a lot later than I anticipated uh, to see a Husker name on there but but finally Khalil's name was picked and uh, then sat out there and, and followed the rest of it and then saw Carlos's name pop up I saw um, I saw Nebraska pop up first and I just assumed it was Lamar and then I kind of glanced over I was like oh Carlos and I, I didn't necessarily expect to see that name but uh, and then to think about where they went too Khalil to Tampa with uh, you know some former huskers on his side of the ball including, uh, a borderline Hall of Famer and in Indomitian Sioux, a guy that he grew up idolizing. And a main reason why Nebraska was on his interest list was watching Indomitian Sioux. Uh, that's, a, that's a great little story and, and a great landing spot for him. And also to get to play with Levante David, who uh, went to Fort Scott Community College, which isn't far from where where Khalil and Carlos are from. So that's another little hidden bonus. Um, I know Levante's from Miami, but they've... Spent time both at Nebraska and in the Midwest, so I think that's a great thing too to go to a spot where um, a lot of a lot of good positive things are happening this offseason in Tampa Bay. There's a, they're in the headlines a lot with Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski, but you know even more so uh, for Khalil to be on that side of the ball in the defense with with a couple of former Huskers is awesome. But what made the whole day was seeing that video of Khalil tackling Carlos when he was he was on the phone. Uh, getting his call that he would be drafted in the seventh round by the Steelers. It just it kind of just epitomizes those two's relationship, you know, that coming out of high school, that was the same thing. They were going to be recruited together. They were a package deal. They get to Nebraska and, you know, they get here and Carlos is ahead of Khalil by a significant margin at first. And then all of a sudden Khalil kind of uh, catches up to him and maybe passes him, you know, in terms of, uh, where they're at in their careers, and then Khalil gets drafted first, but then Carlo follows right behind, and now they're both going to the NFL. The only thing that would have made it better is if they both got drafted by Tampa. But also, just the feeling that they had in the, that in that living room with all their family uh, made it all worth it, made the wait worth it, and made you know for them the day worth it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I said I was surprised with Carlos because Khalil got invited to play in the East-West Shrine Game got to go to the combine where he tested through the roof. So I I would have been just shocked if Khalil didn't get picked, but to hear Carlos's name, I'm with you. That, that was the highlight at the back end of the draft was to hear his name get called. It's going to be interesting and different for those two to be separated now because they've always been together all of their life. And now they're going to be going their separate ways. You know, interesting path for them with their time with Nebraska, they commit to the Pellini staff that was running a four, three defense. They're Redshirt year here at Nebraska. Mark Banker's the defensive coordinator. They have to recommit to the Mike Riley staff. They do showing their allegiance to the university, not just a staff. So they come here with Mark Banker. They redshirt, then they play a year with Mark Banker in the four-three, which is really what they're set up to be. Is a four-three. That's kind of where their skill set um, fits better, I think, than a three-four defense. I think they can they play more uh, of that spot. And then the change of defensive coordinators in year three of Mike Roddick of Bob Diaco to the 3-4. Then here comes the Scott Frost staff and Eric Chenander. That changes the dynamics. They went through a lot, Ben, in their Husker career, being recruited by one staff and then playing for two more.
1: Yeah, they sure did. And they went through a lot. They handled it well. Big personalities, uh, just tenacious football players on the field. Um, you know, they were always in there doing the dirty work and – uh involved in a lot of the the trash talk in the middle of the field on that defense they played with a lot of pride they played with a lot of um ambition and personality which i appreciated but the other thing that i really grew to appreciate about the davis brothers and and khalil uh maybe even more so is you know their 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 personalities really come out of their shell and khalil for going to represent nebraska at media days was a huge thing for him He he wasn't necessarily the most outspoken guy Uh, Nebraska knew they wanted to bring one of them to Chicago and I don't know if people remember the story of how that happened but um, you know you ask you would ask Khalil you know how is it that you ended up here and and he goes well you know our our media staff asked Carlos to go and he said Khalil wants to go so he volunteered Carlos volunteered his (laughs) brother Khalil to go And he did, and I was really proud of him. And I thought he did a great job with all the media for somebody who's not overly comfortable. uh, I know I got to know him a lot better just on a personal level on those couple of days in Chicago, just seeing his personality with all the cameras and getting his picture taken and putting his jersey on. And, you know, it it takes a big personality to have to go through something like media days, not just at Radio Row and talking to all the Husker media, which is 80% of it, but – You know, you got to do you got to do some things that are really personality flaring things. You got to answer off the wall questions. You got to you can't be shy in front of the camera. You got to you got to do all those things. You got to be up on the BTN set. You got to be up at a podium where you look like like a zoo animal with everybody, all of the media coming up and asking you questions for an hour. It's a lot. And you really have to be comfortable in your skin to do something like that. So I was really proud of him for that. And I think ever since that moment in July, Greg, you saw Khalil really just embrace it. You, you saw him embrace the entire year. And uh, that coupled with his on-field success and then the way that he tested in the postseason um, at the Pro Day and the Combine, I thought, was just amazing. And I couldn't be happier for him and Carlos. And I hope they do great things. They're athletic enough to where they can go do some damage at the next level. And, you know, if they're in the right system, they learn from the right people. I mean, you're, le- you're learning from Coach Tomlin in Pittsburgh. You're learning from and Sioux in Tampa Bay, two pretty good places to start. And you wonder, you mentioned Coach Tomlin, who Scott Frost knows really well. You wonder if there was a phone
0: call maybe late in the draft from Coach Tomlin to Coach Frost about, tell me about this other Davis twin. Is he worth a shot? And I I, I imagine that at some point that probably did take place. So that was, from the Huskers standpoint, Ben, that that was certainly the highlight of the weekend. The, the low light would be uh, how your heart goes out to Lamar Jackson, who fully expected to be drafted. I think every mock draft would have had him in it. You saw him, he saw his name up on Mel Kuyper's best available picks up there for about three hours Saturday afternoon, and yet he does not get picked. He has since signed a free agent deal with the Jets. I'll say this now. I'm not overly shocked that he didn't get picked. I think the 40 times that he posted at the combine on a pro day – We're just not very good. And I also think you look back at his career, he he shied away for a good chunk of his career away from contact. He was better at that his his senior season at Nebraska. But I guess I'm not shocked that he did not get picked. I'm not saying he can't make it. I think he can. I think he can still grow his game and, and improve in some of those areas. But I guess I'm not overly shocked that he did not
1: get picked over the weekend. Yeah, I mean, I think for us, being close to him, and watching him, I mean, close in a sense that we watched him play basically every snap for four years. Uh, it, it's probably a little more frustrating to maybe some of the national people or, or or people that didn't really follow Nebraska that well. More surprising, I guess, not frustrating, but surprising, I guess, that he didn't get picked. And I think, you know, we we saw Lamar grow from a freshman who thought he was a hot shot and would be a first-round pick after three years to a Lamar Jackson that, you know, took the benching that he had against Purdue and turned it into a positive, if that had happened to Lamar as a freshman, he wouldn't have made it another month on campus. He would have been gone. He would have been back home in L.A., probably transferred to UCLA or USC or somewhere out on the West Coast, and and that would have been the last we heard of Lamar Jackson, and he would have been the next in line of California kids that didn't make it here. Uh, but instead, he he used that as a as a pivot, as a turning point. And the other thing that that I I had to kind of put in perspective is I saw corner after corner after corner get picked from smaller schools, non Power Five schools, guys that I think Lamar Jackson is way better than. The other thing about it is he hasn't played the position for that long. I remember when he got recruited to Nebraska? They he got recruited as a corner to Nebraska. A lot of other places wanted him as a safety or they wanted to use him other ways. But Nebraska was one of the few schools that gave him a shot at corner. That's one of the reasons, one of the biggest reasons why Nebraska was able to land him out of high school. Is They said, okay, you want to come here? You can play corner. But I'm remembering his very first game as a Husker against Fresno State, how they went after him. And he you could tell this kid just was not ready. He he was not a Division One corner. You couldn't put him out there. That was a bad, bad, bad Fresno State team, and they drove right down the field on him alone. And and he thought, this kid's got a long way to go if he's going to live up to the billing. But he did. By the time that he was done here, he turned into a pretty dang good college corner. But I just think, you know, overall, if you were to assess his journey at Nebraska, all of his setbacks, the things that, like if you were to make a pro-con list, if you're if you're an NFL franchise, say you're the Ravens, and you're assessing all of the things... A reason why to draft a kid and not to draft a kid. The con list probably outweighs the pro list for the guy like Lamar Jackson. However, I will say um, I understand his frustration. Like I said, I, you know, I thought he was the top corner on the board for maybe the rounds five, six, and seven, but no one wanted to take a shot on him. And like we said on on Friday. The good thing about, or Thursday, I guess, the good thing about Lamar's situation is now he got to decide. He got to pick where he wanted to go. I'm sure his phone was ringing off the hook, and he had all, you know, all kind of offers from a lot of other franchises and got interest from a lot of places. But he got to choose New York and a place that he probably feels the most comfortable. And Lamar's the type of guy, as we've saw in Nebraska, at least in the last two years, to turn a negative into a positive. And I hope he goes and kills it up there.
0: Yeah, I, no, totally agree, and that's what I said. I don't want it to, to – my my feeling that I was, wasn't shocked mean an indictment that he can't play in the NFL. I think he can. In fact, I saw a great tweet from Will Compton that came out when the draft ended and said, okay, to all you eighth-rounders, meaning guys that were undrafted, go get it. Now you've got the moment, motivation. It can be done, and the ride to the top when you make it is even sweeter when you do that, and Will Compton certainly understands that and, and, and still plans some football in the NFL as Will Compton after all these years.
1: Yeah, and, and one more thing I want to say about, about that too, um, you know, you – one of the things that every year I feel this right when the draft ends and even even more so the next day when I kind of look back at everybody's class and, and I analyze things more of an, from an NFL standpoint. Part of the intrigue for the draft for me is because I watch so much college football to see these guys that I've been watching for four years make that transition to the NFL is so intriguing. But usually after the fact, I kind of turn the page and, and y- you know my NFL fan starts coming out. And I have this feeling every year, Greg, and I make the same mistake, especially when I'm watching for a guy like Lamar get drafted. I just assume that it's going to happen. You really – and it comes over me every year that you really understand how precious a draft pick is. I mean, each team is only slated to get seven. <laughs> that's not very many. Now, you time seven by 32, that's a lot of picks and with compensatory picks. But to spend a draft pick on a player – is pretty significant whether it's a first rounder or a seventh rounder the fact that you know you want to spend a pick for, for example the Chiefs got rid of a pick next year to trade back into the seventh round to get a corner because they didn't want a free agent war bid with six or seven other teams to get a guy that they really wanted they really 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 wanted Bo Pete, but they weren't they didn't have the draft pick to get him So instead of having to fight other teams for salary cap, which we know Kansas City doesn't have, they decided to give up a pick next year. So that just proves the point of how precious all these picks are. If you're drafted in the seventh round, that doesn't mean you know a team doesn't really think anything of you. You're still pretty highly thought of to spend to spend one of your seven draft picks on on a player. It's really hard. It puts in perspective how hard it can be to get drafted. With so many schools, so many players to stick out is really difficult to do. Um, but that—that that, I guess my point is—that made me kind of circle back, and you know, it, it was a coping mechanism for for me to get over the fact that Lamar didn't get drafted. Is that each team only gets seven of these, and to spend one on a player? Um, yeah, the LSU dominated. And there's a lot of other teams that get a lot of players dom- drafted, and Nebraska needs to be one of them. But draft picks are special in the NFL and you know it's a serious thing to be to be one of those picks. Yeah, I agree with you. They are precious, they're like
0: little pieces of gold. You mentioned LSU, their long snapper got drafted. Now that one you got to explain that to me. Can you not do that on the free agent market? Get a long snapper that seems a little bit of a stretch to me when, when somebody, I don't even know who picked him. I don't even know what team grabbed him, but 14 LSU Tigers did get picked in the draft. All right, a lot of draft talk with coming your way here tonight. Coming up here in a few minutes, we'll continue that with Brian Christofferson of Husker 24-7. That's straight ahead. Welcome back. Sports Highly here on a Monday night post-NFL draft. And here to break some more down with us is Husker 24-7, Brian Christofferson. Hello, BC. How you doing? You okay? Everything good in your world?
2: Uh, yeah, I'm doing pretty well. I just found myself standing at the refrigerator, and I ate about 20 green olives in a row, though. So I'm hmm. I'm going a little nuts. I, I, I might need a little help here pretty soon, but I'm doing all right.
0: Yeah, I think you're you getting in line. I think a lot of us are feeling that way. Well, let me ask you, with this draft that just wrapped up on Saturday, what's a bigger surprise to you that Carlos Davis got drafted or that Lamar Jackson didn't?
2: Uh, I guess I would say Lamar not getting picked. I I wasn't positive that he would, but if you looked at most of the analysts and the mock projections, I think it was thought that at least in the later rounds Lamar would hear his name called. And even you know by like the fourth or fifth round, Lamar was on like Mel Kiper's top 10 list of guys available. Uh, best available, and uh, I'd seen him as high as the third round on a few projections. So I I thought he might go like the sixth round, and I definitely thought when we got to the seventh, okay, there's a lot of teams with cornerback needs. Uh, Somewhere, somehow, he's going to hear his name. Uh, But it didn't happen. And um, sometimes, in a weird way, that can be a benefit to a guy to go the free agency route instead of getting drafted in the last round. Uh, because you sort of have a say in the matter then you and your agent can maybe kind of pick what's the best option available for you as opposed to just the team picking you. And so, you know, hopefully he found that with the Jets. You know, whether you're a seventh-round guy or a free agent, um, the challenge and the obstacles remain the same. So I think he's just got to have that mindset, and if it motivates him a little bit more, um, all the better. But uh, I think maybe a 40-time being a little – you know, not quite as high as you'd want. And maybe there's still some questions probably about his physicality uh, in some NFL corners. I think those are the things he's going to have to answer when, he, when, he, uh, when they open up camp.
0: What do you think sold the Steelers on Carlos Davis? I mean, Khalil went to the Shrine Bowl, had a good showing there. His combine times were off the charts. What do you think sold Carlos to the Steelers?
2: Well, I mean, both those guys at the combine put up ridiculous 40 times. We're talking about, you know, a 4.82 40 time from Carlos Davis for a 322 pound man. Uh, That's practically unheard of. So while, you know, maybe his length isn't as much as some would like on the defensive line, um, I think there's a feeling that Khalil and Carlos' athleticism. Uh, maybe can make up for that. And maybe if you put him in a little bit different schemes than they had during their career at Nebraska, uh, maybe they excel with that too. Uh, so, you know, Carlos is a guy who, uh, you know, he played a ton of snaps for this program, probably about as many as anybody uh, there's been over the last four or five years. He actually played more snaps than Khalil. And I really think a lot of us always kind of mention Carlos ahead of Khalil until about midway through their junior year, and then you start to see Khalil come on, and you're like, okay, um, something's changing a little bit, and maybe Khalil got a, a foot in front of his brother. Uh, but Carlos has always been uh, you know, a little bit bigger than Khalil and, and sometimes a little bit ahead of him. So I, I wasn't stunned that he got picked, and I think he's got a good fit there with the Steelers.
0: Visiting with Brian Christofferson of Husker 24-7. Darian Daniels also gets a free agent deal going to San Francisco. What kind of chance do you give 79 to stay on a roster?
2: Well, that's an interesting place he's going because they're just, they just keep loading up. I mean, they were so good defensively last year, as good as any defense in the NFL. Obviously, the defending NFC champions. Uh, so he's going to have to fight like heck, I would think, um, on that roster spot. But again, it's a free agent situation. Him and his agent must have saw something they like there as far as uh, you know, being able to work their way uh, onto the depth chart for the 49ers. And the, you know, the thing you like about Darian is that he's been regarded as a leader wherever he's been. I mean, he was a captain at Oklahoma State for some of his time there. And then for him to come to Lincoln – and win the respect of his peers that they they voted him a team camp, captain. You know, a few months after his arrival, uh, that's pretty amazing, and that's a testament to uh, you know how he stood out as a worker and what they thought he could do as a leader. And then I think fans will remember this. There was a game where Nebraska didn't play very well, and they maybe looked like they were lacking a little desire. And Scott Frost in his post game said it was actually you know Darian Daniels uh, who was you know at the team walked through that morning getting everybody going and saying, enough of this, let's, let's fire up here. Uh, so he's that type of guy. Um, and so you you got to think the 49ers think they kind of got to steal, at least getting a tryout and, and getting a guy like that into their camp.
0: B.C., we're, we're all in this holding pattern about if we will see college football in the fall or during the 2021 school year. Last Friday, Ronnie Green did announce that he does anticipate – having students on campus in the fall that seems to be a prerequisite to have college football doesn't it you have to have places to dorms and places for athletes to stay that seemed to me at least a little bit of encouragement that we may see some college football in the fall what about you
2: yeah i thought that was the sun peeking out from the clouds a little bit because you're right i think that's the I mean, that's got to be the first step is getting everybody on campus, all the students. Otherwise, I just don't see any way. And Bill Moose has said that. I know to you that, you know, you probably can't play those games uh, with just the athletes being on campus. So um, people are hopeful that it's going to happen in the fall. That's encouraging. I still wonder if maybe, you know, everybody's kind of guessing with a blindfold on right now. I think we need to wait like a month or, you know, month and a half Uh, before we know for sure. But I think by the end of May, uh, I've heard some ADs say this, you got to maybe have sort of an idea if you're at least starting the season as scheduled originally. I mean, you could still potentially play in the fall if you don't have a decision made at that point, but uh, you might have to, you know, back it up a little bit and maybe have an abbreviated season or something like that. So I think we're about four to five weeks where we start to – rub up against what i would guess and this is what has been said by officials in charge toward what might be a deadline of making a decision about the schedule as we know it and so uh you know that's a lot that's got to come through and get decided and you know what makes it so tough is you know there's a lot of differing opinions on what should be done and um you know every state is dealing with it in different ways and has has probably different obstacles, some more so than others. And so, you know, you're trying to get a whole NCAA or a whole conference on board with the same ideas. I know that's why Bill Moose and those guys are having talks almost every day, because uh, that's a heck of a challenge to wrap yourself around. And, uh, you know, you got to get these guys on campus at least five or six weeks in advance, probably, um, to start working out if you're going to start the season on time too. So, um, about four weeks from now, I think they're going to have to kind of feel like they could really go through with it if they want to start it on time.
0: Yeah. Makes sense to me. And for us to avoid an olive shortage, we better get some finality Brian to this in the next four weeks.
2: <laughs> yeah, that, that's very true. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm losing a little bit maybe so that they could help me out if they, if we, uh, if we <laughs> start playing ball again soon. Uh, but, uh, You know, you got to do safety first, I guess, but they also got to think about the safety of people. Are going insane? You know, dropping
0: those left and right. Well, I think the one, also the one thing is, is and statistics are bearing this out that this this deadly virus really hasn't affected young people very much at all. I mean, it's it's pretty much 50 plus that are affected by that, and so for. I've seen people worried about the, the health of student-athletes. I think they might be the least of anybody's concern because it just seems like it attacks much older people. Brian, we certainly appreciate it. Thank you so much for sounding off with us here tonight and staying well. Hopefully we'll see you soon at a press conference
1: of some type.
2: Yeah, I hope so. Thanks for having me.
1: Hour 2 Sports Nightly on a Monday night. Hopefully everybody had a great weekend. You know, we did. NFL draft happening. Some sports to talk about which is a great thing as well coming up here in mere seconds head volleyball coach john cook will stop by it's been a while since we got an update from the head man on what's going on on all things volleyballs and we welcome into our woodhouse auto family now head volleyball coach john cook coach how you been man this is a this is a weird time for us all you included how you getting by
3: hey it's just uh, like i i told you earlier it's kind of like being retired so uh just get up, go through the day, work out, take long walks with the dog and my wife, and, um, you know, try to stay sharp and read something interesting, watch a video of something interesting, and then we Skype a couple times a week with our team. But there's really not much to do, and I think the hardest part is you, you don't know when it's all going to start back up. Nobody has answers, so you're just kind of sitting in limbo. And for a coach who's used to interacting coaching every day, pushing people, trying, you know, to get better, figure out how to win matches. It's just, it's like the world's on hold.
1: That's what it's certainly what it feels like. How's your team handling it? I'm sure everybody kind of has their own feelings about it. Uh, Most, I would imagine almost all of them, if, if not everybody is, is at home. How are they all dealing with this and how are you trying to, you know, keep them motivated as you said?
3: Well, uh, actually, all of them are in Lincoln, but one, and so they all want to come back after spring break, which is awesome. Um, they have access to the training table, they have access to tutors, uh, but they do not have access to our weight room, which is a bummer. So they still have to work out on their own somewhere—a garage, a living room, whatever. Um, so they're they're here trying to finish school. I think they're sick of Zoom calls, as am I. I've, I've read a couple articles now on Zoom calls like, where are you out? And because it's uh, like right now, I'm, I'm looking at myself talking. It's really weird. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, we're just, we just want to be back to normal. I think, I think some of them really struggle with these online classes. And I think some of the teachers are struggling with how to, so let's say, for example, you have labs, chemistry lab, biology lab. How do you do labs online? I, I just I, – I don't know how you do it. So I think some of our players are really struggling with the concept of all online learning. Um, but I just think they're tired of this. And, you know, these guys are used to going 100 miles an hour. And now they're,
1: you know, they're in a, uh, like a tricycle. It's certainly interesting for everybody. But something that that Greg and I talked about last week, we talked about it more from a football side, but it applies to every coach. And this is the first opportunity we've had to a- ask a coach this question. So I'm eager to hear your answer. What's the concern? And I know you're you run a disciplined program. I know and and I know your players are always really motivated. You don't really need to ask them or tell them to get fired up and do work. They seem to do that on your own on their own. But what's the concern level? Maybe not necessarily just with your team, but you know, maybe coaches in general, of the responsibility that's put on these players' shoulders right now, to to keep up with what they need to keep up with, eat what they need to eat, and you know, maintain that 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 level of competitiveness to where when this thing is over, you can have them competing at at a championship level fairly quickly. That's a
3: great great question, and we have to assume, and we've had uh, some talks with our strength coach and our trainer we have to assume they're doing nothing because they cannot work out and replicate the workouts that we're doing when they're with our strength coach. So we have to assume they're doing nothing. And we've been asked how long do we need before we start a season? And that's one of my worries is they say, okay, you got three weeks and here we go. And I just think if, you know, and our players, so I'm assuming they're doing nothing. I know they are working out, but you have to assume that. So we'd have to start, you know, from basically ground zero. So, my hope is that we can get back in June, be on a normal summer program, going to summer school online, but also being able to work out with our strength coach. If we could do that, then I feel great going into the fall if we start in the fall. What I'm worried about is no summer school, they're off for the summer, they're on their own somewhere, and then they come back and they say, okay, you got three weeks, and now you know, and we're only gonna play a Big Ten schedule. So that's my greatest concern because now I think you're really Risking um, pushing too hard, that which could you know, if they haven't prepared, then th- you have a high risk of injury, um, and then you got the frustration of not being able to play like you think you can play. And I, I don't care, you know, you, you can see all these videos online of these players, you know, bumping against the wall or making something, but that's not, you know, unless you're actually in the gym and live and things are moving at game speed. You know, there, there's really no way to prepare for that. So, um, that's that's a big concern on how that would work. So, I've got plan A would be we can have a normal summer and then go into the fall, whatever that's going to be. Uh, plan plan B is hopefully we can get six weeks to prepare them so we can have a legitimate shot at having a you know a good season, playing well and keeping them healthy.
1: It's going to be a challenge for everybody to. Make sure that that's, um, you know, on the forefront, competing at that level and, you know, being able to, to do the things that you need to do. We talked a lot last year about your leadership, about Lauren, about uh, just the, the the relationship that she has had to build and then obviously uh, the, the younger players following up as well. How important is the leadership aspect right now with – Nicklin with Lauren and you know, trying to, to get everybody on somewhat of a, a, a normal a new normal schedule
3: yeah you know and, and because we only zoom with them I have no idea what's going on behind the scenes um, we reach out we ask them if they need help how things going I do know that they've assigned an accountability partner for each other so that so if you and I were the accountability partners for each other we'd be checking in with each other every day so hopefully they're following through on that but again, I, I just, I've seen uh, um, that on the Zoom calls, they're just not, they don't have the same fire and spark that I'm used to seeing every day. And I think they're just like managing this, trying to get through it, but I don't they don't have a lot of interaction with each other. So I think it's really hard to lead. I'm trying to set the example in the Zoom calls, but you know, that's it's, it's really hard and uh, you know, Leadership is about connecting and relationships and doing on a computer makes it, it really, really challenging. I, I'm just glad we have a, a team that has been together for a year. And so I think they know once we get the green light to go, these guys are going to kick into gear. And they, they know what they got to do. Uh, they know what's important. And I think they're going to be chomping at the bit to get going.
1: Talking with John Cook, head Nebraska volleyball coach here on Sports Nightly. I'm Ben McLaughlin. I had one of my best friends lived in Hawaii for a while, coach, so I'm going to do my best to pronounce the name. Keone Lei La- La- Akana. <laughs>
3: I call her K.
4: <laughs> so,
3: Jalen's the only one I know that could pronounce it, and he starts going through really fast, and I have no idea if you got it right or
1: not. Uh, well but, uh, I, he got through the al- he the Hawaiian alphabet with me, so I think I, I think I got the pronunciation at least in the same ballpark. Hioni Lei Akana, we'll just we'll just call her K. Tell us about this young lady and what she's gonna bring and why she excites you.
3: Well, you know as, as you know we had some players leave and our, our priority was to get a somebody that could uh, be what we call a first good con- first contact player, somebody that can serve pass, play defense. And uh, so anyway, we were on the hunt and looking and she was, she committed to USC really early. And then USC coach left and went to Auburn, I think. And there was about two months of nothing happening at USC. And, you know, I, you guys probably know more than I do, but they, they hired a new athletic director and there was just all these rumors and the, you know, the parent thing with getting kids into school. So, she just kind of said, like, I, I need I'm going to do something different. So she got out of her com- commitment to USC, started the recruiting process. And due to Jalen's connections in Hawaii, we were we heard about her and we got her. We got a chance to see her play in a great tournament in Kansas City the weekend before the virus thing hit and everything shut down. So uh, it all worked out really, really well for us and for her. Um, she has never been to Nebraska, but what's really cool is, you know, and again, this is about connections and relationships, but her mom uh, played volleyball at Hawaii, and her teammate is Tony, uh, our defensive line coach at Nebraska. They were teammates, so the, wow. those families wow. are very well connected, and you know in Hawaii, Ben, the connection in the Hawaiians, I mean, it's, it's, it's blood, and they're very tight and very connected. So she had that connection going, um, which I think really made her and her family feel comfortable. Uh, and um, she knows we come over to Hawaii every year to play beach. That was a big, big deal. So, And then I think I think the fact that Jalen's here uh, is a really big deal. And she also has followed Kenzie Maloney and Justine Wangarantas in their careers as liberos. So she, a lot of, a lot of things Clicked here for her and her sister plays at Hawaii. You know we played Hawaii in the NCAA tournament, so she saw that match. And I think bottom line is that uh, um, she's excited. She wanted to leave the island, different from what her sister wanted to, and have an outside the uh, Hawaii experience. And so she's awesome. Uh, she's also was a great hitter and and uh, really good athlete. Her dad's been a longtime basketball coach in Hawaii. So sports family, you know, I, I you know, I, 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 call her and ask her, Hey, what are you doing in this COVID thing? You know, cause Hawaii kind of got shut down. She goes, Oh, we go fishing. So, <laughs> so she sends me pictures of these fish they catch and crab and, you know, it's pretty cool.
1: That's, that's great. Um, obviously a good addition. Can't wait to meet her, get to know her. Uh, I love, love the Hawaiian background too and, and getting to know her personality. Well, you mentioned Kansas city coach last Friday we played, uh, the final four match with Penn State. I'm not a huge volleyball guy uh, in terms of my knowledge, but what I know a big-time sporting event when I see one, and to me that ranks in the top three that I've ever witnessed in my life, any sport, any time. That match with Penn State, uh, the semifinal match before you knocked off Florida to win a national title. What do you remember about that match now? And and I remember talking with you after that match, and I, I've never seen your mind work so fast uh at a time then then after that match was over but what do you remember about that match and carry with you after that I
3: remember the trip the the two players that tripped over each other at match point for Penn State and um incredible crowd for us down there I remember going when we drove up to the arena to play uh, I, I like I didn't get off the bus because there were so many people I did told the bus driver said I'm staying with you figure out a way to get me in this building because there was just too many people for me to handle I was too stressed out and uh, before the match and uh, anyway it was just an incredible environment Cred- incredible credible match and it was a bummer that you know one team had to lose that match but two great teams great programs great just powerhouses going at it and putting it all out
1: there and that's you're right it was a, it's a, it was a great sporting event wasn't well, that long ago that uh we kind of spilled through your entire career from the start to where you're at right now memorial stadium and and that match was a part of it but to kind of build off that conversation that we had for that podcast we did you had two more inductions into the hall of fame into your program at nebraska with terry pettit and jordan larson Um, I don't want to get get too sappy here, but when you start to to put together the the blocks and the pieces of Nebraska volleyball and you think of Terry and you think of Jordan, what's that mean to you as a head coach to see, you know, those careers get recognized? And I know you're asked about it a lot because it's never ending with Nebraska volleyball. Something good's happening to somebody all the time When, when you see things like this and they're they're put into the Hall of Fame. What's the feeling for you as a head coach?
3: Well, it was, first of all, it was an honor
1: to call Coach
3: Pettit and, and, uh, I kind of worked him to finally tell him, you know, how would you like to go in the hall of fame? So that was kind of fun. Cause I think I stumped him, which is good. He never <laughs> likes to be stumped. Uh, but you know, Nebraska volleyball is a state treasure and, uh, and, you know, and he started it in really to help build from what, it, to what it's become and, so I just think for him to be recognized and go in the Hall of Fame is is a really great honor and great recognition. And I know it's going it means a lot to him. And again, I'm hopeful this fall we can have that ceremony because they've really they've really done a good job on inducting these Hall of Fame candidates uh, into the Nebraska Hall of Fame. And then Jordan, you know, is, is going to go down as one of the greatest players ever to play in this country. Uh, and you know, coming from a a one-stop-light town in Hooper, Nebraska, to what she's done and, you know, trying to go for her third Olympics. um, It's just, I don't know, it's just really cool. I mean, she's the typical story that Nebraska people love. Small town, came from nowhere, uh, is humble, appreciates the state. You know, her, her families are farmers and teachers, and... It just doesn't get much better than that. and and you know she just appreciated it so much. and she she was in shock, but when I finally got to the question of asking her about it and um, so I, I just know this means so much to both those guys, and um, you're right. It just builds the pride that we have in Nebraska volleyball and continues to put it on a very high level, and again, I call it a state treasure.
1: How often do players like Jordan get brought up on a day-to-day with new players, maybe from a smaller town, not even necessarily in Nebraska, but uh, recruiting, when they're finally here, when you talk about those those specific examples, do do players like Jordan get brought up much, or is it all just kind of in the moment and everybody's their own person?
3: No, we, we uh, you know, Bill Moose says, you know, uh, honor the past and event the future, and so We are constantly referring, and I'm a history major, so we're constantly referring to history and the fact that Jordan, Kayla, and Kelsey were all on the Olympic team in the last Olympics. And uh, we just did a a, a deal today going to tomorrow night, Ben. If you want to learn more about volleyball tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, and I don't know, or I'm sorry, 6 o'clock. I don't know if it's going to be broadcast on this or it's on Facebook Live, but we did a video session today, X's and O's, Volleyball 101, about our Missouri match. And uh, so you can learn something about that. But uh, um, I just think um, – yeah, I forgot what we what were we even talking about there, Ben. <laughs> we are talking With about Jordan? It, it, inventing oh, the future. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. So we're constantly bringing that stuff up about Olympics, what these guys have done. They're the highest, you know, some of the highest paid players in the world, and uh, all the countries that they played for. You know, this is also including Katie and Amber Ralston and Kelly Hunter was overseas. Michaela was overseas in Italy, and so we're constantly bringing that up. We have we have some videos and stuff that we share with recruits with those guys are in there and great plays that they made. So. We're constantly bringing that up. Very similar to what football does. You see a lot of the history of football and the great players, you know, the Johnny Rogers run. We got our own versions of that.
1: Well, coach, you know me. You know I love asking you the hard questions, putting you on the spot, and really you know, blasting you with, with tough questions. So we're gonna we're gonna throw the, the toughest one out here to wrap up. What's the best thing you've baked in the last month? Um that I baked is my homemade
3: bread it's a whole wheat bread um and it's uh so I told my team Ben I we were on a zoom call and we were thinking of something to do and so I said how many of you guys have ever made bread and they all kind of like oh yeah I said how many of you actually needed needed the bread you know worked it and three of them said they even knew what that was so I'm like (laughs) we're gonna make bread so we had a Zoom bread baking session, and Nuwani, our nutritionist, got them all a packet. They came by and picked it up with their meals, of all their ingredients, and we went through it. And it was—you got all kinds of different looks of breads and rolls—and it was really interesting. But I think they really enjoyed it. And what what I told them was, I said, when I was in college, when I was your age, we all went on. It was kind of this time to go on this health food kick, like you know whole wheat flour stone ground you know everything was whole wheat and healthy and and so we were we were making a lot of our own stuff and into baking and cooking and uh you know we were living down at the beach in san diego and it was just it was great and i was telling them all this and i think you know they, they're thinking like are you kidding me you, you're crazy so but they're used to it and i really enjoy that and um i like I sent them pictures of, the, I made bread yesterday and I sent them pictures I said, listen, I was stressed out, so I just decided I'm going to make some more bread. And I feel great now after I made it. So it's it's a good, it's just a good baking. Is You're creating, you're making something, and it tastes great. So uh, it's pretty fun to do, especially in a time like this. And, you know, right now I've got time to do stuff like that. For years, I never have time to, spend to do that so my wife has to do all that.
1: <laughs> well, it's good that it tastes great cuz otherwise I don't know that the baking kick would would continue. As long as it tastes good and you know your wife can put up with it, then uh healthy habit to have. Coach, it was it was awesome catching up with you. Great to hear that you're doing well and staying safe and you know keeping your dog healthy with all the exercise. Thanks for uh thanks for spending some time with us. We wish you the best of luck and hopefully your team can get back to you real soon and we can we can go as planned. Thanks so much.
3: Okay, Ben, good talking to you. Take care.
0: Dorothy Lynch, homestyle dressing and condiments, the one-of-a-kind taste that goes with anything good for game day or any day. Dorothy Lynch, endless flavorabilities. Back on Sports Island here on a Monday night. I want to tell you that tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, Husker Athletics will be streaming on Facebook, Twitter, and at Huskers.com their virtual night at the lead Uh, This is the event that they've always held in April at the Leeds Center to honor their student-athletes. They hand out awards, academic, uh, the Brooke Behringer Citizenship Award, the Tom Osborne Citizenship Award gets handed out, the team awards for people who place highly in life skills, and then performance on and off the plane surface. Obviously, they can't do it in person this year, so they're going to do it virtually tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. We'll keep you posted tomorrow night on the program on some of the award winners for that too bad they couldn't do that uh in person this year but obviously we're living in a different world here i mentioned dorothy linds so they the sponsor of our snbl and tough uh tough day for the vegas outlaws and uh the mammoths yeah. both go down today right Ugh. that's all right yeah both both of
4: us went down uh Brett's team, the people leaders had a big win over the Cthulhu's in Hong Kong to kick off the day of streaming. And then uh, Ben's team lost to the uh, Nebraska Farmers, the fans team, six to three. And then I lost to the Twins, six to three. So that, not, that was a hard game for me, knowing who to cheer for.
1: But it was, yeah, that was rough.
4: <laughs> you are a Pretty big Twins team. fan. Yeah, yep,
1: that's right pretty putrid effort offensively today from the Outlaws. Greg, we saw a few times Darren Erstad so hacked off at his team to where there was yep. no post-game message where it was literally just game ends, you get your stuff and you get on the bus and by not saying anything, it w- the message was quite loud. That That's what happened today in the Outlaws locker room. It was just uh, pure disgust and yeah, you better believe that uh, management has the offensive uh, coach's number on speed dial just in case this were to happen again. When you were handed the box score, did you just crinkle it up and throw it away? <laughs> Let's just say the uh, the radio guy was afraid to ask me questions oh, uh, at the end of at the end of today's effort That's yep. or lack thereof. Right. Meanwhile, the the Mammoths, they struggled offensively,
4: but and also defensively, and it was really just one guy. I'm gonna name names. Giancarlo Stan needs to pick it up. <laughs> like both, I, I'm he had name he names. he he had a couple missed fly balls in the outfield, and he struggled at the plate. Came up to the plate. Multiple situations with runners on base and couldn't get it done. So yeah, he, he needs he really needs to step up his effort.
0: Old John Carlo give us a snapshot of where where the teams are in the standings right now. Do you have any of that nearby Yeah,
4: so right now Austin has, I believe at the last check, he has a half game lead over Nate's team. Uh, They're in the AL West division, Um, and then I'm, I believe, four games back of the lead, and Brett's a couple games back of that, and then in the uh, NL East division, Ben has, last check, I think it was about a one game lead on you, Greg, and then the Farmers team is a little a little bit back of that, so if right now the both Nate and Austin's teams are just off to hot starts. They they can't be stopped right now, and they're doing it. They're doing it all. They they have the complete package offensively, pitching, defense. They're just they're doing really well.
0: I did not hear you mention Hong Kong.
4: You know what, Hong Kong, they, uh, th- their travel is just going to really bring them down this season. They, they had a big win, I believe it was last Friday on the stream uh, in Hong Kong, one of their first home games that we've seen. And you'd think that that would be a home field advantage, but then they go out there today and lose to the people Eaters. So, yeah, I think it's just going to be a long season traveling back and forth between Hong Kong and all the different places in the States.
1: Yeah, just tough. Tough go for the Cthulhu's. Yeah. But we'll see them in action again tomorrow on stream.
0: I don't. I would not give up on the fans' team, the Farmers. There's a lot of talent on that roster.
1: There is. As you found every out today. We, yeah, every time we watch them, their offense does well. They, I think they've lost maybe one or two games on stream, but they score like nine or ten runs when they lose. So, yeah, they're not fun to play against, and that's they, for sure. They have definitely
4: by far the best pitching staff in the league too with – garrett cole steven strasberg and clayton kershaw so
0: they they can really throw it out there with their first three pitchers sure yeah, can. that's annoying all right good update there on snbl again we do live on twitch three games starting at 11 a.m monday through friday we'd love to have you jump on board you can get in the chat room talk some smack to all of us who jump in there ben's our our main host not there every day but our main host we have some fun with that so uh Hang in there with that. This is, We're having a great time with all of this. We do have some Husker football recruiting news. We're going to get to that next. We're back. Final few minutes of this hour of sports on. Husker football has picked up a big, and I mean big, commitment tonight for the 2021 class. Branson Yeager, an offense defensive lineman from Grantsville, Utah, Ben,
1: has said he's 100% committed to the Cornhuskers. Yeah, monster of a human being, which is great. Six foot eight, 330 pounds. Uh, Offensive tackles, what he was listed at. Um, Offers from BYU, Cal, uh, Vanderbilt, Iowa State, Virginia. Iowa showed interest. So, yeah, monster of a human, which is uh, good news. So, Nebraska now with five commits for the class, three of them offensive linemen, 6'6", 6'8", and 6'9". You have my attention. Yeah, that there is some size. All right, time for this weekend's weekend winners. Ben, lead us off. Yeah, my weekend winners going back to the draft. i got to give major credit to a team that I don't want to give credit to anymore and has turned into the Chiefs' biggest rival, the Baltimore Ravens. Huge fan of their draft. They took every guy in the first three rounds that I wanted the Chiefs to draft uh, and I thought, you know, three or four picks coming up that the Chiefs might be able to grab them. Patrick Queen in the first round, I thought it was a steal for them getting J.K. Dobbins that, that late. And they got two really good, I actually make that uh, four really good third rounders, but two of them really caught my eye. Devin DuVernay, the wide receiver from Texas, Malik Harrison from Ohio State, and Matt Bwike, the defensive tackle for a and I thought all were really good picks. So I hate that the Ravens got a lot better. Josh. All right. My winner. I also go to
4: the draft for this one. You guys have mentioned throughout the show, the amazing production that was put on uh, for the draft. And to me, I, it's, my winner goes to all the people, the producers, the people behind the scenes that helped put that together had to have been a massive undertaking, not only the lead up to it, all the planning and everything, but just a live production of that enormity doing it all remotely had to have been crazy. So props to them and they got rewarded a
0: huge TV audience. No doubt. Major kudos to the NFL for that one. Don't call me Austin, but I'm going with two. The Davis Twins are my weekend winners. Awesome that they both get picked in the NFL draft. Khalil going to Tampa. Carlos to the Pittsburgh Steelers. So congratulations, tip of the cap to the Twins. Won nothing but the best for them and their future in the National Football League. Our Sports Hotline Hotline brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. Again, the Oscars pick up a commitment along the football lines. Branson Yeager, 6'8", 325. That'll play. Not sure if he's an offense or defensive lineman, though, but a big news for the Husker football staff here tonight.